I'll go ahead and have you turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at the second, now the third to last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read the verses 15 to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Our Heavenly Father, just as we look into this section of your sermon that you preached, that we would see its connection to the whole, but also to uh, the connection to our own, own lives and hearts. And, and so, Father, we just thank you for your word, and we ask for grace to understand it. In your name we pray, amen. Well, during the 20th century, the earliest part of it, around the 1900s, Average American medicine cabinet would be like a poisoner's treasure chest. I mean, in most people's cabinets, they would have access to radioactive uh, radium. They actually had thallium and morphine, and they were in everyday products that you could just purchase, you know, at your local dry goods store. And uh, they would put them in there, and... Uh, <laughs> In fact, in America during that time period, uh, poisoning was like one of the most common forms of killing that was out there. I mean, you, it was very easy. Like, it was right in your bathroom above in the cabinet. You could just pull it out and put a little, sprinkle a little bit into, uh, uh, I don't know, brownies you're going to make for your neighbor. Like, and it was just there. And uh, it wasn't until about 1918 that... Uh, scientific toxicology began to take root, and it became seen as a very viable, you know, evidence against a person in a courtroom. And after about that time period, maybe the 30s, the 40s, um, poisonings went from way up here, like, to just about nothing. Like, it became so hard to poison and get away with it. So, someone once said, if you're going to put poison in you know, the shelf where you have your medicines, you're gonna, you want to watch out and read the label. Definitely want to read the label. And that's true today. I mean, we have underneath of our sinks, we have different things. We want to make sure that they're out of children's harm and whatnot. And uh, it's certainly true in life, but it's even more true, if you will, within the church. We have, to, we have to know what will hurt us and harm us. We have to be very careful. We have to be able to recognize those uh, things need to clearly mark them, if you will. And uh, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping us to try to identify kinds of teaching that are harmful and not helpful. And so, he's talking about false prophets in verse 15. Beware of the false prophets. They're like ravenous wolves. And uh, that may seem ungracious, right? 
calling them a ravenous wolf. But that's actually a biblical pattern. The Scriptures have used that in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 22, 27, uh, the prophet said, and he was a true prophet, he said, her princes in the midst of her, referring to Israel, are like wolves, tearing the prey, shredding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And so there was a kind of a common way of talking about people who would create problems and calling them a ravenous wolf. Well, Acts 20 in the New Testament, verse 29 to 30, Paul, as he was getting ready to leave his uh, people that he had spent time with, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, wise there will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, I think we all realize that in this world, there are going to be dangerous people. There are going to be wolves that are wanting to destroy us. That's natural. It's not natural to think that in the safety and the sweetness of a fellowship that we would experience ravenous wolves. That's why Jesus is warning us. He's warning us. And it begs a little bit of a question, does God actually allow this to happen to His own church? Well, the truth is that He does. He does allow this to test His people, to to try to draw them to a greater degree of maturity. And unfortunately, sometimes this sheds out, sheds out people who may not have genuine faith in the process. But what is a prophet? What is a prophet? You know, we tend to associate prophecy with the foretelling of Scripture, right? The Old Testament prophets, they foretold of Christ. Something that we don't always understand or maybe we overlook is that the prophets were also, they were foretelling, they were declaring truths about what God had already said. They were proclaiming to a disobedient people the true way, to go back to the law and the prophets and to to stop wandering away. They were like shepherds and kind of trying to get them back into the right direction. So they were not just foretelling the future, they were, if you will, forth-telling. They were declaring and implying uh, God's, God's law. And they were, yes, they were speaking about the future, but you know what? The future that they were talking about was to try to give hope and try to give, give people the, 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 uh, the confidence that things aren't going to be the way they have always been. In fact, they're going to get better when the Messiah comes. And as they look to the future, it should affect how they live in the present. And sometimes we get so downhearted and we get so we can, we can fall into despair at times because we've got our eyes off of the future, and we're into what we just right here. So simply put, a prophet was a proclaimer of God's Word, whether it was referring to the future or what God had already said. And that's what a prophet has been historically in Scriptures. But false prophets cannot always be recognized immediately. But they have to give time. You have to evaluate fruit to see whether or not the real nature occurs. And so, in this context, try to help us see the context here of what Jesus is saying and how to evaluate them. It's important for us to see that Jesus is saying that as they teach, 
you're going to notice that they're teaching in a way that's not like my teaching. In other words, they don't have a straight gate. I mean, just the previous pat, uh, paragraph, he says in verse 33, excuse me, verse 13, chapter 7, verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so, this is an important piece to take into this understanding of what a, a prophet is and maybe what a false prophet is, because there won't be a narrow gate to the teaching. There won't, it'll be like very broad and very easy. There'll be nothing there to, to make it difficult, if you will. But I think it's important for us to see that, that really Jesus is saying, look, I am the only solution here. I am the only solution. There will be those who come along that will say, hey, Jesus is not really the only solution. There are other alternatives that can help you and nurture you and get you where you really would like to be. What about this hard way of repentance? Forget that. They'll be looking for alternatives. But, you know, we have to be very careful as we think and we listen and we evaluate it's, it's really important that we be tr- not led away by error. We have to be careful, though, in the process that sometimes when we listen to people, sometimes we hear people teach, they might have a different style, and we might be getting turned away because of a style and not necessarily the substance of which they're teaching. There's two sides to this issue. You can, you can be led away for the wrong reasons and you can also be led away. Uh, you can be led away because of a distraction, and so we have to make sure that we're listening carefully for the substance and not necessarily the style. Which really, often, false teachers will present a nice, winsome style, and if we're not careful, we'll become enamored with that even, and so we can be disturbed by it and miss the truth as well. But the point of the narrow gate is so important. A false prophet won't bring up disturbing things. Jeremiah 6, the prophets in Jeremiah's day were saying, look, everything's okay. There's peace. There's peace. And Jeremiah's saying, no, there's not. We have corrupted ourselves beyond wildest imagination, and Babylon is on our doorstep. But then all of these prophets came in and said, no, 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 don't worry about that. Everything's good. The economy's great. You know, the stocks are up, and it's all good. And if we're not careful, even in our day, we can fall into the same trap. We can fall into the same trap. A false teacher won't talk about holiness. They won't talk about righteousness and justice and the need for satisfaction. False prophets just simply emphasize the love of God. And they don't emphasize the fact that the love of God does something to change us, that we need that change. There is a, often a lack of emphasis on the final judgment, and, and it's critically important that we realize that even Christians are going to be going into the final judgment. We're not going to be judged like this world, but we are also going into the final judgment as well. 
We need to recognize that. I mean, a very popular cult in our day is Seventh-day Adventism. There is no doctrine of eternal hell in their way of thinking. Everyone will eventually, you know, they won't just cease to exist. God wouldn't do that to people is what they teach. It's a, it's a, a false teaching. False teaching will also downplay the sinfulness of sin. I mean, seriously, we, it's not that they necessarily deny that there's no sin or maybe that they think that they're perfect, but they just, they just say that sin is just not serious. That's dangerous, very dangerous. Often there is a lack of emphasis upon repentance. Repentance is so critical, but if you don't feel the full weight of sin, there is no necessity to repent. There is no necessity to turn. And these are critically important doctrines that are often left off because they would, it's, it's, it's not as popular, it's not as uh, pleasant to listen to. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner, and we need to remember that. There's an emphasis upon repentance. You know, um, back in the early parts of our own Christian history here in America, it was the John Wesleys, it was the George Whitfields. You know what they preached? They preached the terror of the Lord, and people's hearts were turned. They were turned. Repentance means that you realize that you are a guilty sinner before God, and you are truly wretched, and that if Christ weren't there for you, you would have absolutely no hope. Critically important. Otherwise, we don't renounce the world and turn to Christ. We turn to Christ but try to keep the world, and it's so important. Well, finally, the, there is a test here of the fruit. Well, in verse 16 and 17, it's almost a, a restatement he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then drop down to verse 20, he repeats himself. He says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And what Jesus is talking about there, there is, there is something to being a Christian that affects the inside of a person that comes to the surface. It has to come out. Like it, it works from the inside out, just like the nurture of water, the water goes through the root system, and all the nutrients comes up through it, and then the, f- the fruit comes out. It's a picture of a deep character change. It's so easy to mis- be misled by, <laughs> by appearances. Oh, I bought a Honda from a guy who was looked on the surface really nice. I mean, he had a great story. Like, he needed the money. He couldn't negotiate on his price because he needed the money for his wedding that was coming up. And, you know, it's, oh, man, I looked at his service records and I trusted that, you know, that that was okay. And, man, it's so easy to get taken in. And the danger of religion is such that we kind of, if we're not careful, we're just cleaning up a surface and we all look nice. But the truth of the matter is that Christ changes us from the inside so that we are truly nice. 
And this whole emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount is the necessity of the new birth, the necessity of being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the washing of the outside, it's what comes out that is important. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 for a minute. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. Maybe an extended paragraph, but it's like commentary on what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. He's talking about the importance of honesty and integrity and transparency and reality. Be one or the other. In the book of Revelation, it's like, you know, be either cold or hot. Don't be lukewarm. Be like one or the other. And he says, the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, and he's talking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Whatever comes out is on record, it's on public display, and it's going to be there at the judgment, and God will make it known. It is that inner central change that's that, that we need to understand, but we also need to see if there is a link between belief, belief in life itself. As a man thinks, that's how he is. I mean, someone once said, you are what you eat, right? I don't like that one. So that means I'm a Reese cup. Ah. But nature must express itself. You can't get grapes from thorns, Jesus said. You can't get figs from thistles. The truth is, when there is communication about change, it's time will tell. The fruit will appear. And we can be deceived for a little while. Appearances can be very, very realistic. The Puritans back in the 1700s used to talk about people's being temporary believers. I think maybe we we've, would we've, call them like maybe like camp decisions at times or foxhole Christians, Right? They, they, they make a profession in a moment of intensity, and when they get out into real world, real life, the real test of that decision is, is unfolding. Second Peter 2.22, I, I love this. He, uh, Peter quotes the proverb of the, from the Proverbs, says, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What really is will be. <laughs> right before church here this evening, one of the boys handed me a jelly belly, and it was white. And it was one of those trick ones that looks like marshmallow flavor on the outside, but it was sour milk. <laughs> oh! And man, I could identify with this text. <laughs> Dog returns to own vomit, 
And the sow, after washing herself, returns the wallow in the mire. What is will be. So what do you consider? How do you, how do you survive and how do you negotiate these, these types of things? You're trying to evaluate. You're trying to be careful. Well, you have to remember that some people are just born nice. Okay? Really. There's some people who have a temperament like a golden retriever. They're just a nice person. But the truth is, you can be a good pagan. You may not have the reality of the new birth within your heart. I know most of us have said at one time, you know, I met so-and-so, and they're like, they're better than some Christians I know. Have you heard that? The truth is we have to realize that our righteousness are as filthy rags. We have to have the humility of heart to realize that without Christ, we are absolutely nothing. So we've got to consider the inner motives as we watch the fruit flourish and bloom. Certain apples taste sweeter than others. I love apples. I need to eat more apples rather than Reese cups. But I love the apple. There's a sweetness. But at this time of year, you, you go to the store and they're nasty. All the sweetness is like dried up. You might as well just be eating like a plastic one off of some decoration bowl. But the genuineness, the positive test of genuineness is to bite into it. There is a biting in that's necessary. And when we get to know people, do we see people who are poor in spirit? Are they mourning over their sin? Are they meek? Are they hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Everything that Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Are they peacemakers? Are they pure in heart? Are they merciful? A man has to see themselves as utterly vile that nothing but the Son of God could heal. What we're talking about is humility. There needs to be a deep-rooted humility that blooms. What do we bite into? Do we bite into pride or do we bite into humility? This is the character of Christ who did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and became a servant. That is true fruit. 